0: to the 8th episode of the Midnight Film Review. I am Brian Stevens and my co-host... It's Colin Smith here in an incredible amount of pain. <laughs> uh, we had to will Colin, in the wheelchair uh, freak weightlifting accident, yeah, correct? So something like that. I feel really bad for you, I do. Wish <laughs> I could take your pain away.
1: <laughs> Just give me the drugs, man. Quit holding out on me.
0: I uh, told you after the show, uh, gotta get through this first. Is that, is that the carrot? That's <laughs> the carrot that's dangling at the end of this. Uh, I had to change the opening because Amanda said I sound stupid and it sounds staged.
1: That's so weird because it's totally off the cuff and improvised every time you say the same thing. Every time I say <laughs> hello, yeah.
0: hello, welcome to the midnight film review Podcast. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wanted that. that a woman. <laughs> <laughs> the '30s yeah. style radio, I like it, but. So that was for Amanda. Okay. We'll see We'll see all the feedback we got You're from right. last week, you know, all the 20,000 emails that just poured in. I don't have time to read them all. It's, <laughs> right. it's getting overwhelming. Um. So this week, we're going to start out with an open discussion, then we're going to follow that with some recommendations, and then we're going to finish it off with a review of Legend. Nope, psych, we're just kidding. Because Cincinnati didn't show Legend this week. Yeah. Uh...
1: After hyping it up for like two weeks in a row, we were just lying the entire time, and maybe we'll see it when it uh, ends up on Blu-ray in like three weeks or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Apparently, it did not do well, but I don't know what they're. T- I mean, yeah, it seems like a film that'd do better in the UK initially, anyway. Yes. But yeah, agreed. I don't know. I don't know what the the movie business is for like box office weekends for. UK films, other than like Bond, uh, yeah, even that, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what their viewership is like. How
0: much? Oh, oh yeah, I guess I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't know what's big <laughs> over there. I doubt it's like one hundred. I doubt they're doing like multiple hundred billion dollar openings. Uh, I doubt anyone's doing one hundred billion dollars. Hundred million, sorry, I a Hundred billion would be a lot. Yeah, it would. Um, so instead, we are going to review Spotlight. Yes. Um, Tom McCarthy's sorry laughing Uh, we just went over Tom McCarthy's uh, filmography as a director yeah and it's it's interesting
1: I mean you know he was robbed on (laughs) on the Oscar nod for The (laughs) Cobbler. so the
0: film just did not get the love it deserved hopefully hopefully Spotlight uh, Spotlight makes up for that right yeah um, so you want to just get to the open discussion? yeah, all right, so I had approached you about this uh idea um that popped up in a conversation um that I was uh, reading online uh, on Twitter actually <clears throat> um by a few couple of film critics, and they mentioned an article which I sent you and um really, I don't really care too much about the article as much as the idea behind the article. So Star Wars is doing something extremely... Star Wars The Force Awakens is doing something extremely rare in uh, this day and age. And that is they are not doing any screenings uh, for critics. So critics have to sit with the common folk and watch the movie just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, it's going to do a billion... Dollars. I, so, really, I I don't know how how I would
1: find this information, or if it's there's it's been measured in any way. But really curious how much money it's made already, because we went to we went to Meijer the other day, and literally they're just Star Wars in caps with new products. There was there was a product uh, called a Furbaca. Yes, Furbaka. they brought Furbies back, and there's. There are Star Wars Furbies. It was it was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen before. I was I was with my girlfriend and she was going into the aisle and I just stopped and I said what probably five times <laughs> sort of staring she at the She thought this you packaging. were having a seizure? Yeah, she thought I was having a stroke,
0: really. What? 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 Um, what? Well, interesting. Today they announced pre-sale tickets had just hit fifty million dollars. <laughs> I mean,
1: good God, that's Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, a lot of movies don't even open to $50 million, let alone pre-sale. It's the largest pre-sale in the history of cinema right now. But, I mean, we kind of knew it was going to be that big. Um, it's, but my main focus I wanted to talk about is, is this the future? How relevant is film criticism? And um, how do we view film critics? You know, I mean, we're kind of, I guess we could consider ourselves film part of the film critic family. We don't get paid for this, but we enjoy film and we like to talk about it. We don't get
1: paid for it. We're not good at it. You don't care what we think. But we're here, damn it. We're here. We're here.
0: Loud and proud. Yeah. Um, but really, uh, everyone is a film critic in a way with the rise of the internet. A lot of sites, a lot of podcasts, you know. Um, but I think it's extremely interesting that that blockbusters like this have a who especially stuff that's uh, like Star Wars and Marvel and DC <clears throat> and um, you know, movies that are adapted from YA novels have built in audiences already ready for 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 the reaping and honestly they don't they don't care if the movie is good necessarily they're going to see it it helps for the longevity of the product for it to be good but used uh, used to mean something if a film critic said the movie was garbage and I obviously that it doesn't matter I mean. Star Wars has already sold fifty million dollars of tickets. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know.
1: I so I think Star Wars is atypical in a lot of ways. Um I mean the article made the comparison to the other sort of like comic book superhero IPs. And clearly so just just to, based on the amount of money they've spent on advertising alone, you know, Star Wars is like, no other film. And this is an opportunity that's n- probably never going to re- be repeated in film. I mean, so, when, when was A New Hope? Or episode four, uh, four whatever you want to call it? Is it 99 or 98? No, no, no. Not... Oh, oh, no, 71? Sorry. 71, 74,
0: yes. 74, 71? It's, no, it was 74. Because
1: Jedi was, like,
0: 82. Yeah. So, um,
1: so yeah, I mean, this... <laughs> These sequels have been, you know, preceded by just literally people who've grown up on the, the culture around this uh, piece of intellectual property. Yeah, I, I just I don't think you can really necessarily make that logical jump that nobody that these big movies with built-in audiences are going to necessarily copy Star Wars, uh, copy Disney, and not pre-screen their film. Um, I think they might benefit from it in certain cases. Um, but, you yeah, know, Star
0: Wars is a, a beast of its own. The, the article made a point that saying that uh, if Fantastic Four hadn't pre-screened for critics, it probably would have made more money.
1: But, but see, that's that's just supposition. Like, who... Who gives a fuck about Fantastic Four? Like, <laughs> they, they, I mean, true. It doesn't matter. Uh, they, you just, you just need to make a good movie if you want to make money off of a relegated bit of <laughs> like the Marvel universe. And the la- the last two Fantastic Four movies before they rebooted it
0: were so unbelievably bad. Just uh, it, but this, the, I haven't seen the latest one. But apparently, it's so bad, it makes those look good. That is shocking. That is a feat. Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess my only counter-argument would be, uh, how then how do, we, how do we judge Transformers? Because it got terrible reviews, Transformers 4, and it opened, uh, it was one of the only films last year to open to $100 million. Uh, this year, we've had four, and Star Wars is going to be the fifth, which that's pretty crazy to think about, but... But yeah, I mean so Transformers has since the first one has got historically bad reviews, but yet they it's still a billion dollar franchise
1: well I so going back to Fantastic Four, I think you know no no amount of obfuscation is gonna save your bad film from not making money, but if you had made a good film and gotten it to the critics and they had given it good reviews mm-hmm. you know be something there you know even uh, an ip that people aren't necessarily interested in suddenly everybody's talking about how good it is and um but transformers everybody knows exactly what they're getting you know it's just michael bay making shit explode this so the marky mark one made over a hundred million dollars on opening weekend, opening weekend there's no hope for
0: our species and the thing about that movie that's me, that's kind of surprising is how long it is. It's it's close to you know three hours long, and it feels every bit as three hours long. You know, yeah. I mean, but I think I, I don't know. I, I I'm not worried for the critics, uh, but it just it's to me it's uh, as somebody who reads film criticism. I have critics that I enjoy reading. Uh, critics whose tastes kind of fall in line with mine, so I know if you know ahead of time if I probably don't like a movie or not like a movie. Um, it also um, is scary to think that uh, maybe the audience doesn't really care what you think, and that comes from like a narcissistic personal level. But um, I don't know. There's always been this uneasy alliance between studios and film critics. Well, it. Depending on the audience, they might not care what you think. I mean, clearly the
1: Transformers audience
0: yeah, that's don't true. care what
1: you think. They probably don't think really. We could just cut out a few words in that sentence. Um, <laughs> they are just moronic consumers. I mean, I can't. But then again, did you pay to see I that? To see yeah, it. you're part of the problem, man. I can't believe I'm doing a show with you. You sell I, out.
0: <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. It was like it was like torture. Uh, it, it, Well, to me, it's to me. There's two. This falls into two kinds of categories, I guess. Really, is uh, one. I guess you can look at J.J. Abrams, and I think that this instance doesn't really have a lot to do with critics. People are saying, "Oh, he made a bad film," and he's worried. Honestly, J.J. J.J. Abrams has been consistently secretive with every film he's made, even the bad ones. You know, Mission Impossible had very little. Uh, time between screenings and actual opening, Uh, going back that far. Star Trek Into Darkness, the horrible reveal of Khan that everybody saw coming, he denied until the movie opened. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that it has more to do with the filmmaker and maybe the support that Disney threw behind him than it really does for criticism. I'm just being kind of an alarmist about it, and it's just something that's never happened really before.
1: Well, so in some of these... uh you know the other examples like the superhero franchises we we know what's going to happen we can go find the source material and if we really want to spoil it we can probably you know barring any interesting twists in the plot for the movie probably figure out pretty much what we're um, about to go see. But Star Wars um, they have gone as far as to disavow all the other uh, extended universe uh, like books material um, as non-canonical. I'm pretty sure this is what happened because what is in the film is what really happened as far right. as the universe is concerned. And that, that is huge. I mean, this is something that even without a movie makes a lot of money and is going to make a lot of money in the future. Um, so I, I I just feel like they they have a lot, of, they have a bigger reason to protect the, you know, what is going to happen here um, beyond shielding themselves from
0: criticism of the film? Um, I agree. I, I, think, I, I think that it is an interesting conversation to think that blockbusters don't need critics to um, make money. But I think ultimately this is kind of an anomaly. Um, I just thought it was interesting um, because of how poorly um, Phantom Menace was received. And um, the reflection of that on this film, the worry that some people have, and it's unjust, I think, total different filmmakers, total different story, and um, total different uh, studio. So, you know. um, yeah, Yeah, I mean, The Phantom Menace is also,
1: again, Star Wars is so interesting because The Phantom Menace is something that Maybe will never happen again. As far as one person having such creative control over film, and nobody being <laughs> willing to challenge him on yeah. any decisions, uh, from you know basically writing to the finished product. Right.
0: Um, anything else you want to say about film
1: criticism? No, I mean, so the the one point I liked about the you know the articles, even if. Even if you do concede, or I would concede that a lot of these blockbusters probably, depending on their the audience, don't need film critics to make money. Um, the it's it's the indie films and the films that aren't blockbusters that really do rely on yeah. criticism um, to help audiences find what's good and. Kind of bring bring the attention to bear on films that deserve it. So I don't think film criticism is going away. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but oh, I'd be interested to see what happens going forward. Um, if I had to bet, I would bet that this does not become a trend, but
0: I could see it going the other way too. So, I mean, I kind of agree with, with uh, that sentiment. I can. I mean, uh, Rogue One, Rogue One comes out next year, I think. Already, uh, I think. That I think, right? Next next Christmas. I don't know. So um, what,
1: are they doing like one spin-off
0: and then one direct I, film? I and think so.
1: Alternating characters? Um, and maybe
0: two years. I could have that totally wrong. It might, it might be in 2017. But I would say that I can almost guarantee that that probably gets sc- screened for critics. But if it doesn't, then maybe we have something. And when Transformers 17 comes out and that doesn't screen, maybe we have something there. Um... But speaking of blockbusters, I also wanted to talk about uh, the Hunger Games. Um, did you Have you seen any of the Hunger Games? I saw the first one
1: at theaters and was pretty, I wouldn't say disappointed because I had
0: really no expectations, but uh, it seemed wildly mediocre. Same, same. Um, so, yeah, the first Hunger Games, I think we've talked about this off uh, air, but, um, you know, it felt um, like a poor man's battle royale. Um it, the violence was even toned down from the book yeah uh, I guess um, and the story uh focused i feel like too much on the um love triangle, which I guess in the book isn't even as thick as they made it in the movie um but as the series has progressed, um I've actually uh enjoyed um the series mostly because of Jennifer Lawrence and her um her ability. Um so this weekend I saw the uh My King Jay uh, part 2 and it's not it's not a great film um but this speaks to a larger issue in Hollywood um and we kind of talked about it with Kill Bill last week when you have a story or something that um may extend itself and can be broken into two parts mm-hmm. why not do it right so well for the studios for the studios exactly um but man i mocking J part two wasn't a holy disappointment uh, a wholly disappointing film because Jennifer Lawrence is so good um and the story is actually it's very poignant and it is very um it, it's so relatable to to now because of you know the ongoing war uh on terror and um the the surveillance state and things like that it, it it's a good commentary and i think it's a commentary that can only be made. Um, the way it is made I think it would be really hard for a modern day apocalypse now uh, so to speak Um, you know it's good it's interesting for me to think of Katniss Everdeen as a uh, alternate to Chris Kyle um, from American Sniper Um, and and the reason I say that is because um, he's played by Bradley Cooper he's played by Bradley Cooper and she's different Lawrence you know Uh no but uh, so I just wanted to kind of bring up like two things one um how studios could destroy i feel like Mocking jay actually i've never read the books and i don't I'm, don't care to necessarily because i don't think they're probably necessarily well written but the story is entertaining but it just is so stretched out this isn't a film it is a third act of a good film of a film that could have been good and the yeah. same thing with Mockingjay Jay part one it is a good beginning to a good film, but it is not a film that stands on itself. Um, but to a larger point, I think that uh, Jennifer Lawrence is a very interesting actor, actress. So I guess we didn't look it up, but did, did we settle on what happened after um, she did Winter's Bone? Did she hop right into the... We we did not, because we are really bad at this. This is a... We'll get better, I promise. Yeah. Uh, Check back in episode 15. Remember the rule of 7 and 15. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're almost That's there. That you made up last episode. <laughs> I, did. so. uh, I didn't make it up. I swear I heard it somewhere. So after um, Winter's Bone, she was in uh, The Beaver, which I didn't see, but I guess she had a big role in that, and then X-Men First Class, okay. and then right into The Hunger Games. Um, so uh, to me it's interesting because she goes from – these two teen roles, I guess you could say, and jumps into Silver Lining's playbook where she plays someone who has serious mental problems who is in their mid-twenties, I guess. Yeah, something like that. And, um, you know, she tears it up. She gets, you know, nominated for awards and um, she kind of doesn't look back. She sticks with, you know, the X-Men series and Hunger Games, but... She, which well, she'd probably already signed contracts right. for and uh, Put money in her pocket. <laughs> but she is consistently making adult films. Joy, which is being released this year, um, from everything I understand about the film, she plays the same woman over decades, or at least over many years, as she goes about life. Um what do you, how do you feel about Jennifer Lawrence are you do you think this is an an amazing career that's trajecting upwards or do you see her coming back down to earth no i, I think
1: she's uh she's very talented and i mean i think the point that brian's driving at is that usually young female actresses um, as they're sort of getting leading roles they they get cast uh Play characters that are younger than they actually are, whereas Jennifer Lawrence is getting cast to play older characters and getting cast in more challenging roles, and she's done it very quickly. Uh, so I guess *Silver Linings Playbook* is probably we can point to that as the transition for her that, career. That right. great. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I there are, there are a lot of films that I haven't seen uh, of, of hers, um, but she consistently impresses me every time she's on screen. I, I don't know if I would say I, I love her or I love her work, but uh, definitely room there for her to, um, it, you know, if she keeps keeps picking the roles the way she has been and keeps performing and getting better at her craft, I would say she uh, she will have an incredible career.
0: Yeah, the only thing I, I kind of wonder about is, uh, audi- uh, audiences can be fickle, and so can Hollywood, and uh, it's strange for uh, an actress to take such a big leap. It happens to actors all the time, you know. An actor is acting on TV as a teeny bopper, and then they get a starring role in, a lead, in in a lead movie and get noticed. For actresses it, they usually have to pay their dues, you know uh, we kind of talked about Emma Stone from Super Bad and easy a She had to work her way through the teen fair um, and before she actually got roles you know like Birdman where meteor meteor roles roles where she could actually act mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying that Jennifer Lawrence is going to digress or go backwards in any way, but um I think there's a real danger once you've reached a certain point. And the fact that she's worked so much with David O. Russell is also scary because I'm not... I, I like David O. Russell. Uh, Silver Song's playbook is excellent. Um, American Hustle was okay. I enjoyed it probably, uh, I think, more than a lot of people. Um, Just for the
1: performances. Or for the performances,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, but Joy kind of scares me. I think it looks interesting and I'm sure she's going to be terrific in it. But... Uh, it, when you work with the same actor uh, I think it can stunt your growth um, and the character of Katniss was interesting because it was so different than what we had seen her play uh, up until the, that point you know her role as Mystique was minute in the first X-Men and expanded in the second one but Winter's Bone she played a very solemn adult teenager yeah um, so I don't I, I don't know I, I think that her her career is something that is going to be interesting to look to look at into the future. Well, I mean maybe a lot of
1: it has to do with Winter's belt because that is that is a role that would be really hard to cast for um, mm-hmm. and make, makes or breaks the film. Um, so the fact that she could pull that off at that age and do such an incredible job um, because it is really just a, a bleak heart-wrenching film yeah um, right, may, maybe we can point to that and say you know she's that was her paying her dues
0: so. yeah I guess you're right that's a good point um did you want to talk about anything in particular no, no? alright alright well we're gonna go ahead and move on to recommendations so stay tuned after this It's still alive. Uh, Barely. Hanging in there. I appreciate I, it.
1: My, my life force is not what I'm worried about. It's my ability to remain conscious. Or, you know, like audible while I'm speaking. Uh, <laughs> or not, you know, just gasp. Which I've almost
0: done a couple times. He, he was dozing in and out when I was talking about the leftovers. So we had to take an extended break so I could give him a massage. Um, is that what you're calling it? <laughs> I'm married, man. Okay, fair uh, so... All right. We're going to go into recommendations. Um, I'm going to start us off um, with a series that uh, it's debuted on uh, IFC, but I saw it on Netflix. Uh, And it's been around since 2010, actually, was the uh, release date. And it has two seasons right now. And I'm excited, once I looked it up, that there is a third season coming out January of 2016. Which is fantastic. What's So, what's the gap? Because the first two seasons came pretty quickly. So, uh, we're talking about the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret, by the way. We yes. should say that. The increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. Mm-hmm. Well, it started in 2010, and the um, second season came out in January of 2012. And then, so, two years, four years. Yeah. Um, so, I guess season four will come out in eight years. Maybe. Uh, we can only hope. Right? Uh, so, these these are uh, half-hour episodes, and there's only six per season. Um, where to start? So, uh, if you are a fan of David Cross, or uh, The Mr. Show, uh, I would say, or Will Arnett, even. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, or even uh, Arrested Development, yes. or... Or of laughing in general. Yeah, and anything like Bob Odenkirk has ever done, or David Cross has ever done, really. Yes, you'll understand this humor. Uh,
0: yes, so just to give you a basic idea of uh, the story: is uh, Todd Margaret um, is kind of a inept person in all aspects of his life, um, but he gets an opportunity to go to London to hawk a energy drink to the Brits. I'm not going to reveal anything else uh, other than to say he makes some very poor decisions, like the title says, and ends up uh, in very horrible predicaments. Um, What I love about the show uh, and about the humor is the same thing I love about all of uh, David Cross's stuff, and um, he is particularly great in this, is how um, smart it is in its stupidity. Um, That's a good way of putting it. He plays an oblivious idiot better than um, anyone. I, I really do feel that way. And, he, and, he, and we all know he's a very smart, intelligent person. Yes. Um, and maybe that helps him play an idiot so well. But um, his, his performance, along with Will Arnett's performance, uh, and Will Arnett, of course, plays an over-the-top <laughs> asshole. Uh, in this, and he just pairs so well with with David Cross's character.
1: Yeah, well, although there's more there's more to Will Arnett's oh for sure performance than at first glance. Which is another thing that's so endearing about the show is he gets to play that same character he always does, and he also gets to play
0: something completely different at the same time. So, yes, uh, those char- both those characters are written with a depth that. Most half-hour comedies don't have. Um, probably one of my favorite episodes is um, when Todd and Margaret lies about being allergic to nuts. And that's all I'm going to say about that, but that's kind of the feel of the show is he always has semi-good intentions, but his lies
1: always destroy him. Well, I mean, the, the show is, you know, the title of the show... Basically is the premise of the show, so yes, every well intentioned bad decision gets him deeper into a place from which there is no return basically
0: my favorite thing is the uh uh the premise on Wikipedia says uh that he is mistaken for a go getter by its boss, yeah. <laughs> and that is perfect yep. um but yeah, so I would recommend it check it out on uh, Netflix, which uh, both seasons are on Netflix, I'm not sure where the third season's going, um, if it's going to be on IFC or if it will be released on Netflix, uh, I'm guessing like m- the majority of television now, uh, Netflix has an influence on, on what uh, gets remade and you're actually your recommendation kind of falls into that category.
1: Yeah, well, although uh, Bob Odenkirk has done a bunch of stuff with uh, IFC. Oh, really? So, I don't know. Is he, is he a producer of the show? Um, if he's not involved at all, I apologize. I just sort of
0: assume that... His name isn't listed as a producer, okay. so... Well, never mind then. Still that kind of humor, though. Yeah, sure. Right, he may be involved in, in the in the third season. So.
1: You know, just talking about this, I could really use a can of Thunder Muscle, right?
0: <laughs> Delicious. Actually, I feel
1: like I have too many cans of thunder Muscle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe we should get you some,
1: actually. I need something, that's for sure.
0: Uh, so, yep, increasingly part, poor decision of Todd Margaret. Colin, go ahead.
1: Well, uh, yeah, so I'm also going to recommend something uh, very silly. Um, so, the the movie, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, um, <laughs> which is a David Wayne and Michael Showalter written and directed film from 2001. It was a cult film, definitely. Um, it, if you've never seen it before, it's on Netflix right now. And it, uh, it is just like the perfect homage and parody of the camp movie genre of the eighties, uh, with a kind of an absurdist twist on it. Um, so earlier this year, uh, we got word that uh, Showalter and Wayne were teaming up again to do um, a show, a Wet Hot American Summer show for Netflix, uh, and the twist was the original cast, who <laughs> were way too old to play the characters they were playing, you know, 15 years ago, which was part of the fun of the film, were coming back again to reprise their roles, um, and it, you know, it was one of those things. I've, I'm like, well. When hot American Summer is great it was hilarious, but is this like this conceit is it gonna be like gimmicky and old? How's this gonna work um, <laughs> so i I sat down with my girlfriend I made her watch the film she liked it, and we started watching the show and I think we ended up binge watching it in two nights, which is faster than we've ever binge watched a show before um it is. Hilarious and painful, um, <laughs> and everything I wanted out of a, out of a show adaptation of "Wet Hot American Summer." Um, they, you know, all the old faces and characters are back, and uh, with some new twists, um, it's. If you like absurd things and you like people playing roles which they are obviously not cut out for, like uh, something about Paul Rudd playing a rebellious sixteen year old is just absolutely hysterical uh, pretty much
0: at every time i and so i I think what is great about the show is they could have went easily for, you know, you know, in in the movie when they're like, well, "Let's be back here in ten years in mm-hmm. this exact spot," and they could have went that route. I mean, it'd been easy, but instead, they decided to do a prequel. Uh, you know, basically fifteen years later, mm-hmm. and it's so ballsy, yeah, and it's so out there. Well, and and
1: some of the the kind of like sweeter nostalgic parts that are in the movie um, are, are pretty much gone. It's it's just totally absurd and ridiculous and over the top absolutely um, but it's it, it is an amazing show and uh, I yeah I, I was saying earlier I can't believe we missed it on our Netflix uh, original content discussion yes right I know because we both
0: watched it I think yeah I think that I, it was maybe because we watched it so long ago like yeah. it came out over the summer mm-hmm. um, but I was nervous about it too and I I was like I remember seeing the film not when it came out but close to when it came out and me and my group of friends just thinking it was like the bee's knees. Like it was so uh, subversive and unique and fun and uh, I was I was thinking to myself this is going to be bad. After the debacle that was Arrested Development I was like why are they doing this to this movie? Like it doesn't need this. Yeah. But I think it is it is an amazing compliment complimentary piece to the movie uh, because it takes the silliness and the stupidity and the uh, I, I mean irreverence of the of the first film and expounds on that like 20fold John oh should I say that is that a spoiler yeah,
1: well so if, if you're you know he's the voice in the first film. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really. Think stop it's a there. I mean, we'll yeah, just stop there. But, know, but that's fine.
0: But you know, there's some great um, cameos in it. Um, the fact that Bradley Cooper came back. Oh yeah. Um, and he's he's great in it too. Uh-huh, he's, yeah. he's awesome. Um, I I just if you if you haven't seen the movie, watch the movie. Let's say that. Yeah. And, and if you have watched the movie, and you are afraid to watch the series because you're like, I don't want to taint it. Don't worry, it, it, it it's it's fine. I promise you'll love it. And how about the fact that Elizabeth Banks' character is uh, is a little bit of meta. There's a little yeah. bit of oh, meta yeah. in it. It's uh, it's great. It's
1: compared to and compared to the pace of the film. There's like so much packed into every yes. episode, um, it's yeah, it uh,
0: it's a great show. It really is. Yep, I think um, increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret and Wet Hot American Summer kind of go to get together, right? Oh, like yeah,
1: both uh, very silly, ridiculous. Um, although Wet Hot American Summer is not painful, whereas the increasingly <laughs> poor decisions yeah. of
0: Todd Margaret excels at being painful and making you feel uncomfortable yes that is for sure Um, so check those out let us know what you think Uh, I'm going to use this opportunity instead of the end of the episode to plug uh, the email Um, Uh so email Colin and me too I guess uh, at midnightfilmreview at com. send us your emails let us know what you think Um, I think people are listening to the show yeah Podbean's metric says that people are listening to the show, theoretical people. Theoretical people. The show. We had one person comment a review on our iTunes. Yeah,
1: but that was before I even started. So, yeah.
0: totally. Totally dude, invalid. Dude, yes. hey, dude in Maryland. Send us an email. Let us know how much you like Colin. How much better we're getting, you know, or worse. Pump our egos a little bit or do more... no, no, we don't want to know how much worse we're, we're getting. Okay. Um we don't, we don't want any kind of criticism. We're the critics. All right, fair enough. Uh, I'm I'm joking. Uh, and give us some reviews on iTunes, you know? We're not going to become millionaires by you guys just sitting on your hands. These advertising dollars aren't going to roll in on themselves.
1: We're still working on, uh, working on the terms of our sponsorship deals with Hulu. (laughs) (laughs) It's in the pipe somewhere. Yeah,
0: just, just holding out for that big, big check from Hulu. Yeah. Um. All right, well, that's going to do it for recommendations <laughs> and possibly for the rest of the podcast. Uh, we'll be right back with a review of Spotlight. All right, welcome back to the Midnight Film Review we are going to review Spotlight by uh, Tom McCarthy. Um, So Spotlight is an interesting film uh, to me because, uh, one, its director and writer are um, not the most renowned. Uh, Win-Win and The Visitor got decent reviews. The Cobbler got awful reviews, and I've seen The Cobbler, and it's not a good movie. Um, the Station Agent, which was his first film, um, is actually pretty good. That was kind of Peter Dinklage's breakout was uh, it? role. Yeah. Okay. Um, but Spotlight is something totally different. It's a different animal. Um, and I'll just real quick give my thoughts overall of the film, and then I'll pass it along to you, and we can get a little bit more in depth. I don't think we're gonna have a spoiler section for this. Um, I feel like the story is pretty much known. Uh, I feel
1: like if I if I had to give a spoiler, it would end up sounding horrible and insensitive. So Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah right? <laughs> Good call. Just because of who I am, I'm just gonna censor myself. Good. Yeah. Uh so Spotlight is um probably one of the best crafted films you'll see all year. Um from an Academy Awards standpoint, um, uh, I think it's probably the front runner. Um, it's definitely in my top five. Um not necessarily what I would say is it's enjoyable entertainment, but it is engrossing and um, is excellently directed, beautifully shot, and um, probably one of the best acting films you're going to see of the year. And, I mean, that pretty much encapsulates the film. Um, it In someone else's hands, I feel like the movie could have been boring uh, just because of the straightforward manner in which it's told. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. I... I thoroughly, uh, enjoyed the technique behind it. Put Mm -hmm. it that way. It's hard to say that you enjoy a film about pedophilia, but it's... Well, it's not about, it's not about pedophilia. Uncovering it. Much better than just plain old pedophilia. Yeah. (laughs) Much better. Yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, so, uh, I feel like as far as a film that sets out to tell a story, um, I don't know how you do it better than Spotlight. Um, it delivers technically on like every point you could come up with. Um, it is well directed. The performances are j- just excellent. Um, you know, everybody uh, n- nails their role. Um, you feel like they're real people um, dealing with a real problem. It's written in such a way that you never the, the the characters in the story are never really fighting for for screen time, um, and the the pace is uh, keeps you involved in the film. Um, it's it is well shot. Uh, it's just like a like a technically flawless film for this type of film. Um, I had a really hard time coming up with anything I kind of didn't like um, may, maybe the, the only thing um, you, so you, you sort of get a, a feel of all the characters why, their personal investments in the story they're telling except for uh, the, the new editor
0: um, Lee Schreiber
1: Lee, yeah his character but you know that's again that is not necessarily a fault just seemed like a, the connection was clear to me for everybody else but him. Um,
0: yeah, so that's, that's definitely, um, and there's a lot of opportunity for these characters to chew up scenery and they don't, you know, uh, n- you don't feel like in, any of these actors uh, are trying to outshine each other. And, and it feels like a play in a lot of ways. Um, just because it's a lot of people just sitting in rooms talking. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much is the film: is people sitting in rooms talking, um, it, it, reporters interviewing uh, victims, interviewing um, lawyers. It's it's doesn't sound exciting, um, but it is. It, it it's uh, it's watching people who are the best at their craft, and I mean that by by the actors and they're at the top of their game, but also the reporters. This obviously was a unique set of reporters. Spotlight uh, investigative uh, reporting team from the Boston Globe is one of the most well-renowned investigative units uh, in the world, which I never, I didn't, I mean, never heard of them, but I I mean, I don't read newspapers all that often. Um, But, you know, people obviously, and you get the feel of that from the movie that people in town Once they hear that spotlights on the case, they're kind of like, "Oh shit, like something's gonna happen." Um, So it's you know great actors uh, at the top of their game portraying uh, reporters who are the best at what they do, and as cheesy or corny as it sounds, it's entertaining um, and informative at the same time. I mean, I I knew the case. I had heard the case. I'd seen uh, "Delivers from Evil." Uh, the documentary about uh, the Catholic Church and its pedophilia problems. Um, but, really, really. Come on, the
1: cover-up's the big <laughs> issue here. We right. got.
0: <laughs> but yeah, but this this movie. There were actually, <coughs> excuse me, there were two scenes where uh, I, I came close to tearing up. Um, ex- when they're interviewing. Um, two of the the victims I mean you felt the pain and that's that's the power of the movie but the good thing I feel like is it didn't rest on that that wasn't what it's about it's not it wasn't about that
1: well so there are two things this film could have done two big missteps that really like things like this set this film apart from other films in the same genre um, it's it had the chance to be emotionally exploitative mm-hmm. and it did not it's it did not you know prey upon uh, the the victims to kind of cheaply evoke a response uh and it was not melodramatic melodramatic um in in its presentation the characters were rational and there were you know there was no like shouting at people to tell the truth or it it's just a it, it avoided um, taking the easy way out yeah. to like evoke and convey emotion uh, in the audience and uh, not not many films um, could walk that line and do it as well as this film did um, I honestly I was I was expecting a good film going into this but uh, this is a this is a masterful, masterful film. Like, go go out, you know, it's not something you have to see in theaters um, necessarily, but go, go see this film.
0: Yeah, especially if you enjoy just good acting mm-hmm. um, in good direction. Uh, I, you know, I think of just like subtle choices um, like the, uh, the, the scene where they're sitting around the phone and they're they're, I guess, kind of having a conference call or, you know, uh, they're talking to this psychologist and uh, he reveals to them that the number of priests is like somewhere around 6%. And they realize that, you know, 6% of the priests in Boston is uh, 90, 90 priests that could be involved in pedophilia. And there's just this natural pause amongst them where they're kind of looking at each other and nothing is said. And it's just kind of like holy shit, ninety pe- ninety pedophiles. Yeah. That just and it it turns out that, you know, that the guy's not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, but that to me was like a real moment. It felt like that's how that, that played out. Yeah. Like, you know, if if that information was just piled onto what you were, had already heard and seen and, and saw, um, that it to me is the emotional gravity in the film is knowing the situation and realizing this is real they don't yeah you're right they don't ham up the the drama it you you never feel uh like the film is exploit exploiting uh, victims in fact it could have been a lot worse um and i'm not saying that i wanted to delve into that um if there's anything i could say that i didn't like about the film is that um there there were a couple scenes where I would have liked for them to feel a little bit more of the outrage. Um but then again, the film just like the reporters feels it has a job to do. Mm-hmm. And it has to tell the story in a way that is true to nature, true to the story. Um and it pulls it off. Like it's been compared to uh, All the President's Men. I think it's just because of the procedural type of movie it is. But and I'm not like saying I'm not a fan of All the President's Men. I mean, it's in Enjoyable film, but this feels much less like a uh, Oscar grab as it does it just happens to be a good film and that's going to get attention.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just uh, all the, all, the good, all the pieces are in place, and I, I mean, one of the you know, best picture maybe, but the, the screenplay has got a oh. best original screenplay or something because agree. The way they, they translated the story, um, and made it interesting and brought the reporters to life, um, it, it's just, uh, you, you couldn't have a movie this good without
0: just an unbelievably, uh, unbelievably screened And I will go as far as to say that this is the best thing that Rachel McAdams has ever done. This is the best acting I've seen her do, um. You know, each character, you're given just a nugget of their home life. You're given; it doesn't dwell on each character. It, there's no real main character, I guess you could say Michael Keane's character maybe, but each character is given almost equal time on screen. Um, and Rachel McAdams' character, uh, when when she has to show this article to your gran- her grandmother, like there's just that like look in her eyes. It's kind of like I don't want to disappoint disappoint you because I know how much faith that you have, but you ha- this has to be shown, you know. And there's even a scene where, where Mark Ruflo is talking about how, you know, he doesn't go to church anymore, but he thought he was going to go back yeah. at some point, and now he just feels broken. Um, and that's, that resonates, you know that, you know, that these people, obviously they were destroying the lives of their victims, but they, it also, the crippling effect it had in the community um, and there's that, too, which I thought was amazing. Um, nobody... It, it'd be really easy to just point the finger at the church, but the film also points fingers at the paper um, for not reporting on this earlier, and the community. Um, so there's enough... It, it, it's not a hero story as much as it is just a um, an uncovering of how this kind of atrocity happens.
1: And the, it is... It's not a short film, um, it is a longer film, and one of the things uh, that I, I kept trying to keep in the back of my mind was the the first scene of the film. Mm. Um, sets the stage for everything, uh, everything to come so well, and I was, uh, I could, it, it, um, I don't know I don't know how to say it. It, it it built my anticipation or it the first scene was so well thought out that I was already felt like I was going to be watching something of value yeah. So from from the very beginning this you know it doesn't doesn't take a while to warm up it you know this
0: is just was a great film And uh, you know and to kind of close things off and I kind of when I look at the end of the film, Stanley Tucci, by the way, is also uh, pretty awesome. Oh yeah, no, he, maybe too. he does.
1: He's his character is maybe one of the most interesting characters. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. He, uh, him and Mark Ruffalo have a lot of scenes together, which is just it's awesome. Like you know, you could you know going into it, I thought, oh sweet, we get to have Bruce Wayne and Bruce Banner fight pedophilia, but really, it's Stanley Tucci. It's the, those are the two uh, my two favorite uh, state outs of the film. Honestly, they're scenes together, are great. But at the end of the film, he drops the paper off at Stanley Tucci's desk and says, "Hey, look, we did it." And uh, Stanley Tucci's like, "Great, it's awesome. Uh, I'm happy. I've got to get back to work." And as he's exiting, you know, he's like, and "It's like those are two new victims." Yeah. And there's two little kids sitting in a, a room with their mother. And it's just kind of like you won this battle, but the war is still happening. You know, this this is something that's still going on. Um, that resonated with me almost more than anything else in the film was that scene. Um, that's very, that is a very powerful scene. But uh, overall, Spotlight is one of the best films you're going to see this year, uh, as far as acting and. Direction and cinematography, score was great too. Yeah, great, great score. Um, overall, I, I just can't think of a, of a of a better film that's in theaters right now um, to see. Uh, it's not necessarily something you're gonna rush to your theater with your family, um, like Colin said. You could probably wait till it came home, and um, if you are feeling extra somber, uh, watch it. But it's great. it's a great it's a great movie. Anything else? No, go. go see Spotlight. Yes, go see Spotlight. Um, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Little, uh little choppy episode. Yeah. Hopefully. Um,
1: Next week we'll be recording from the hospital bed that I'm in.
0: <laughs> After the 17 surgeries to fix uh, your spinal yeah, column. To, to fuse yeah, the, the first six vertebrae of my spinal uh, I think you guys should all just uh, appreciate uh, how much of a trooper Colin is for following through with this episode. He's in a lot of pain. Uh, and uh, the IV's almost out so we're going to have to hit the road soon but I think next week we're going to review Creed uh, is what we've talked about
1: yeah hopefully we'll make it happen uh, and be able to see Creed in time to
0: usher Brian back home for the holiday and you know. get, a, get an episode together so yeah. um, have a great Thanksgiving um, if you celebrate that kind of thing Mm-hmm pillaging of our motherland (laughs) Uh, yes uh, we're gonna stop it there Uh, uh, thank you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon